we are uh, <laughs> uh, we are moving um, to the end of Philippians, and as we get into this, the theme of joy, progressing joy. Uh, I call this one, as I always wrestle with titles, the illuminating of the redemptive mind. As you think about what God's Spirit wants to do, the entrance of His Spirit should make us all think differently. We can't meet Jesus and remain the same. And yet last week, and here's where this gets messed up in my, we tried to fix this, but this doesn't work. We, last week we talked about progressive Christianity. You see that? Well, kind of did, kind of not. But uh, the idea that there's some changes that are taking place in the way we people are thinking about Christianity today and is not necessarily progressive, but we talked about that. But here's the passage. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which is, depends upon human tradition and the elemental, base, natural, spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. But I changed that. Um, boy, this didn't work out at all. Uh, to a consumer Christianity, which is where it would probably be more likely that you can have a smorgasbord of churches and go pick what you want. And, but it's the same idea. There's something going on underneath. But as you get into Philippians and the New Testament, I want you to hear some things from Paul as, as we think about what God did then. And then we've got a real challenge coming up. But our mission is the same as Paul's. I want you to hear this and so that your heart resonates with what Paul had to struggle with. Our, our mission is the same, is to know Jesus Christ personally. If you don't know Jesus Christ personally, then you're in a civil religion. You're in a cultural form that you may not know. But if you don't have this relationship with Christ, you're going to think about Christianity in an entirely different way than the way Christ presented it. Our challenge is the same as Paul's is to help other people come to know Christ. How do you help people stay involved and grow and become grounded in, in the grace of the gospel? And our message is the same. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It is the only unique superior power for salvation. There is no other name. There is no other salvation. There are other methods and other ideas, but there is no one else. Muhammad. Abraham, Moses, David, nobody heard these words. This is my beloved son, hear ye him. Nobody. And therefore, Paul met this risen Christ, and he had the mind of Christ. He, he grew in this heart of Christ, and he introduced the kingdom of God to the many cultures he visited with the one message that we just celebrated in the communion. Christ was crucified for our sins so we can have new life in him. Everywhere Paul went, that was his message. So moving on, you think about that's really significant, and we'll get into this in Philippians, but here's the question. If the foundations of your faith are destroyed, what can the righteous do? This was said by King David back in Psalm 11, verse 3, and you change that to say, if the national foundations are destroyed... What can the righteous do? Paul or David answers these uh, 
in this section from Psalm 10 to Psalm 14, all of this is a concentrated response to that question. How, do, how does the righteous man live in an unrighteous world? How do we live with a kingdom mindset when the kingdom's falling apart? Righteousness exalts a nation, Proverbs 16, 12 says. A king's throne is established in righteousness. And these are the universal principles. These are the transcultural principles for all cultures in all times and in all nations. And when societies destroy that foundation, grief and lament follow. In arrogance, the wicked hotly pursue and overtake the foolish and the poor, and damage is done. It is an abomination for kings to commit wicked acts. For a throne to is established for a throne is established on righteousness. My paraphrase, it's an abomination for governments to commit wicked acts. For a law is established on righteousness. And so as we get into this, you think about we live in a political world, whether we like it or not, we do. And here's something that's coming down the pike. You know, in California, the ACR 99 civil rights will dictate morality to the churches and to synagogues. If I were a counselor, if a pastor in, in uh, California, I would be arrested for the counseling I give. The first time it's $10,000, the second time it's $5,000. But here's the proposal this civil rights resolved that in addressing the stigma often associated with persons who identify as LGBTQ, we call on people of California, especially underlined the counselors, pastors, religious workers, educators, and legislators, and the institutions of California with great moral influence, moral influence, especially its churches, Leading the way, churches, universities, colleges, and other schools, counseling centers, activist groups, and religious centers to model equitable treatment of all people of the state. And be it further, and it goes on. But just to say, they're targeting, the world is targeting us. And therefore, Psalm 10 to 14, right through there, it says, The faithful have vanished. The wicked bend the bow and they fitted their arrow. They're, they're going to string to shoot in the dark of the upright in heart. God seems to be absent. There is none who does good, not even one. And then Psalm 14, the atheists say, there is no God. He doesn't notice. Where does he say that? He says that in his heart, there is no God. Now, I want you to hear that that took place 2,700 years ago. Keep that in mind. I won't, give you, I won't go into this, but if you want to get a response, read Psalm 11 and read Psalm 37 to hear how David responds to that. But make sure you know this is a serious issue going on because your religion, they say, should not dictate your morality. Your religion should not dictate your morality. Your morality should dictate your religion. That's the world we live in. And it gets worse. In this progressive side of Christianity, you'll hear the argument this way. 
there is a Christian fallacy that what you hear is really not true because it doesn't have an historical basis. There are people who really question whether or not it's true at all. It used to be that you would have Christianity, there would be doubts, but you would never say it was bad or not good. But now you can say, now Christianity is really evil and doing damage. And so the shift about how the world is seeing has moved progressively in a different direction, which we'll look at. God and the gay Christian, they have a goal is to debunk and claim and that it needs reformation and has no basis. It's misguided and wrong. Well, those are the foundations. It's one thing to have a foundation that's cracked, but it's another thing to have a foundation that's removed. Look at this picture. Tim sent me this picture, and I thought this was a good timing for this picture. The, the, look at that tree. This tree is still standing after the sand beneath was washed out. Why? Because the roots are so deep, and it reminds us what the relationship with Jesus should be like when the storms wash up, abasing us. We will still stand because we are firmly planted. Lord, help us to keep growing our roots deep in you, your word, your truth, and your love. So here's the question Paul has to deal with, we have to deal with. How do you keep from losing your faith in a broken world that ignores God, destroys this foundation, and loses any kind of trust in anything? Paul had an answer. But it wasn't just an answer. Paul had a joy. And that's what you find in Philippians. Uh, he had the joy of watching those believers who followed Christ, not just believed in Christ, they followed Christ, and they grew up and they became faithful followers. And he says in Philippians 4.1, Therefore, my brothers and my sisters, you whom I love and long for. There's the apostle's heart. My joy and my crown. And again, if you have your Bible, underline this because I think this is overlooked often. In this way, in the mind of Christ, humble, honest, hungry, chapter 2, other-centered, not being preoccupied, self-absorbed in what I want, my rights and my demands. It's this, this way of being a servant but you're focused on Christ and know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of those who are struggling with their sin. Paul goes on to say, I, I forget the past. And my focus is, I want the kingdom. In this way, with the mind of Christ, you stand firm in this way. And he goes on to say, you stand firm in the Lord. Now notice again, this is Paul's challenge. But this isn't just Paul's challenge. This has been the challenge ever since Adam scooted out of the garden with the tail between his legs. Judges, the book of Judges, if you haven't read this one, this is a sobering book. It says in 17.6, notice this theme, 17.6, in those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. Judges 18.1, in those days there was no king. And the tribe of Danites were looking, looking, searching someplace. There's got to be a place for me to have a territory. I, I'm going to settle. 19.1, in those days when there was no king. Get the idea? The, the, the Spirit of God uses repetition because sometimes we, we get dull. And we forget, oh yeah, that's, he's saying something here. So... If you're an editor, you kind of cut that out and just say, this is repetitious, and once is enough. But 19, in those days when there was no king, a Levite, a priest, 
who lived in the remote hill country of Ephraim, took for himself a concubine, a prostitute, from Bethlehem in Judah. 21, 25, you know the phrase, in those days there was no king, no authority, no one guiding, no one leading, no one teaching, no one, and everyone did what was right. Sound familiar? Sound familiar? Sure. Where there is no vision, no revelation of God, and no word, when the people are unrestrained, but happy and blessed is he who keeps the law of God. That's the amplified version. No vision, no restraint. Without guidance from God, law and order disappear. No revelation, the people cast off. I'm free. Again, go back 3,000 years. Uh, Come up a little forward to Isaiah. He says, we all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned his own way. This is not a new problem, folks. The Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. There's a way which seems right. It's my way. That's been Frank Sinatra's problem all the way along. (laughs) Jesus told us about that, that if you have these houses built on the sand and built on the rock, you know which one's going to fall. But this idea that, that we live in a world where things are changing, and things have always been changing back and forth. So let me introduce today a tool, a way of thinking that will hopefully, hopefully get us through, at least for the next five minutes, if you can bear with me. I'm going to share something with you that you want to throw rocks at me if you don't get it, but hang on. It, it, we'll, we'll work through this. Uh, there's a book I'm reading, this one. I've read it before, and I go back to it. Because it's called Slaves, Women, and Homosexuals. (laughs) What a title for a book, huh? And this is Bill Webb. And let me share with you, because if you're thinking about how do you you communicate with this world, and how does Paul's going to communicate to Philippians, they're tied together. So let me share with you this idea of the mind of Christ and how the Spirit of God works in our culture so that you will be prepared to handle people out in your world like Paul handled people in Philippians. And here's his point. Understanding the progress of... Of, uh, in history, how history is unfolding, and how those cultures develop in response to the Bible or their lack of understanding of the Bible. And so his idea is, I'm going to do this bit by bit so you can see it. He talks about there's two movements. There's a redemptive movement where there's change and healing and help and growth and maturity. And then there's a regressive movement which becomes a distorted Perverted, corrupted, darkened. And so you have these two directions you're moving. Keep that in mind because this is his thesis. And I think this is wonderful. But it starts with the fact that you've got the Bible in the center, which is what we want to do. We don't come over the Bible to say, it's my opinion what I read into this. We read the Bible this way. This is what the Bible says down to me. This is my authority. So we trust what God says in his revelation is going to be directly affecting how I live my life in this fallen world. But you've got this principle of X, Y, Z. And X is the fallen culture. X is the original culture that the Bible starts with, wherever that is, whatever country it's in, whether it's Philippi or Greece or Rome, you'll see this. But X is the original culture. And so God has to start right where we are 
in our culture, whether that's pagan or, or religious or secular, postmodern, whatever. And then you've got the Bible speaks to that culture. And so if the culture responds to the text, there's movement, and that's called redemptive movement, progress towards the scriptures to apply the Bible, and there's life change. But the second part is we live in a time when we have our culture. Our culture is not the Jewish culture from, from Paul. Uh, so we've got 2,000 years and knowing how to take the text and apply it to our culture so that we continue this movement that's redemptive. So you see this idea of movement is what Webb is talking about. And X and Y, X is the original culture, the Bible's the text. You have our culture, but where you're going to is Z. And Z is the kingdom culture. Z is heaven. And we pray that as it is in heaven, that's the way we want to live on earth. That's what we just prayed in the Lord's Prayer. So your movement towards heaven, the way things are done in heaven, should be the way things are done in our culture, X, Y, Z. There's the movement. But the idea that you can move this way and you find that the original ancient culture of the Greek and Romans and Philippians and Macedonian and Turkey on, that's where God starts. He moves us to the text of Scripture, and he moves us this way into heaven. Except, to understand this, Webb gives three ex examples, and I'm going to expand it to one. One is the issue of slavery. That in Egypt, slaves were treated horrible. And if you were a non-believing, secular, pagan, you may be just like a cow or sheep, or you were expendable, and you were treated like dirt. You were nothing. That's the original culture. But you move towards the Bible, and the Bible is a movement towards improvement. And you get into the New Testament, the slaves, slavery wasn't removed. And so there was a progress of development as masters were told, you want to reflect Christ to your slaves and be kind to your slaves. Show grace to your slaves because you too have a master and he's going to be your master and you are his servant. So the idea that there is a, a, a movement, but it wasn't taken care of totally. Given our day and age, slavery has been removed legally and therefore we have an anti-slavery movement in our history that exceeds what the Bible had. And so there's a movement in cultures to progress, and slavery is one of those illustrations that when you get to heaven, there'll be no slaves. Paul introduced it, says there's no, no male, female, difference, slave, free man. In heaven, it's all going to be family. And there, you see the movement there. The same for women. And this is another pot of coffee or two. Uh, women were treated in the Old Testament, again, poorly. They had no voices. They're not even recorded sometimes. And so it's a very patriarchal society. But as you move into the New Testament, you see Paul introducing kingdom thinking. You see Jesus talking to people who he shouldn't be talking to according to the original culture. The Samaritan woman, the, the woman called in adultery. Jesus is talking because he embraces and moves people into grace. And so women began to have a voice. And you see this with Paul. 
establishing a more of a, an equality, a sense of honoring the woman, especially in marriage in Ephesians 5. But you see, the movement, the way women are treated, they weren't treated totally that way at the end of the New Testament, but there's a movement towards, and so that happens as we go in the time that is continuing to build where women get rights to vote and drive cars and so on and so forth. But when you get to heaven, it won't make a difference. It won't make a difference. So the movement is this way, and it's the same thing for sexual identity. In very clear in the Old Testament, you have all kinds of confusion after the garden. And then people are struggling with sexuality from the get-go. And you have people moving into uh, Genesis 6 where God says, I hate this. Every thought of man is evil continually. But the movement towards dealing with sexual sin is strongly opposed in the Old Testament and strongly opposed in the New Testament and strongly opposed in the kingdom of God. When you have somebody who is moving not towards the kingdom but is moving away from the kingdom, then you have a different orientation and you're regressing back. But note that the freedom of Christ is going to give you the freedom to be sexual in the way God wanted us to be sexual, in the sense that our sexuality would reflect the grace of the kingdom of God coming into our relationships. Therefore, you don't use people. You don't abuse people. You really honor women and men. And therefore, you have this, I just want you to see this movement. In the Old Testament, you had this thing, it's my tribe. It's, we're going, it's me versus you. It's us versus them. And racism, the Samaritans, on and on, it's always been an issue until you get to the kingdom of heaven. There's always this movement. But with Paul, you understand that the truth, the respect, the kindness, and the wisdom is really what the Spirit of God wants to bring in so that you progress in the Holy Spirit to grow in holiness and godliness. And the freedom is not just the freedom to do what you want, it's the freedom to do away from from sin in our lives that's choking us. And therefore, let me ask you this question. Today, is our culture moving redemptively or regressively? Is it possible that our Western culture could actually be worse than Corinth, than Rome? Huh. Are we as bad as Sodom and Gomorrah? Hadn't thought about that. He goes on to propose that if there's X, Y, Z, there could be a movement that we would get worse, progress downhill so much that we are even before the X, we're a Y. And I would submit to you that because of the technology, because of the pornography, because of the sex trafficking, because of the intensity of, of lack of, of understanding of the kingdom of God, the church has been silent and the world has been shouting loudly. This pagan and fleshly world leaves many people destroyed. The hope is, as he said back in the Old Testament, Samuel said, do not be afraid, Samuel, you have done all these evil Yet don't turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart, and do not turn aside after these worthless things that cannot profit or deliver you, for they are empty indeed. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not abandon his people, because he was pleased to make you 
he is pleased to make you a people his own. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people. And so he had this sense of hope, this redemption for wherever we are. God starts in our culture. He starts in our hearts, and he brings us. Now we come to Philippians 4. In this way, you want to stand firm in the Lord. And in the church, as I, I summarize this, I want to get to one point mainly. In the church, if there is conflict, and there was conflict with Yodi and Syntyche, mature Christians, they differed. But in our day and age, you will have differences of opinion. But let me ask you to think redemptively or regressively. And the biggest issues that are up there, you can't see the one, the biggest issues that are facing us, and we, are, we have to speak to them somewhere, and how we do that, gun control, vaccine, LBGTQIA, politics, censoring people for convictions, morality. The wisdom that Jesus has for us, it says, if you follow me, you won't walk in darkness. Movement. But if you don't follow me, you will walk in darkness. And therefore, Jesus said, let them alone. The blind will lead the blind, they'll fall into the pit. But you follow me. To understand when you're talking with people in our day and age that they don't know Christ, which is, okay, that's where I was. Our job is to have friendships that come alongside to help discuss. And therefore, he says, I urge you to stand in this way and, and, and agree, agree. Uh, here's the thing that the world will say to you. Let's agree to disagree. I don't agree. You know what agreement means? Get this one. This is fun. Agree means to give consent or assent. Assent means with feeling. Sentir. To agree, to please, to satisfy. I agree with you. I feel with you. I sense, I sense, I want to be with you. Well, that's true. But here's what, with seekers and non-seekers, they say, let's agree to disagree. The word, oh, back here. The word agree, ah, means towards or for, and agree is the same root as gratitude and grace. So if I'm with agreement, I'm going to pleasingly, acceptingly, lovingly, kindly, respectfully, thoughtfully, consider, uh, give you grace. If I don't give you grace, I'm not thinking how to enter into your world, into your struggles. I'm not thinking about the kingdom of God redemptively. But with non let's agree to disagree. means let me agree to not give you grace. That does no good because he stays stuck in his disagreement, in his rebellion, and we stay in our... And so there's a dividing line. So my, my point is, Let's agree to give grace. Let's agree to show respect. Let's agree to explore together what God said. Let's agree to love one another. That's what the call is. With seekers and, and, and non-believers and those who aren't seeking, just anybody you meet, be kind because everybody's fighting a battle. But with believers, our goal is to put Christ first. Let's seek Christ together. Let's seek Christ in resolving this conflict together. Let's pray together. Let's entrust our issues to the Lord so that we move redemptively together. Don't let conflict define our relationship. Let Christ define our relationship. And you focus on that redemptive, how can I move us towards this kingdom perspective? So we rejoice and let our gentle spirit be known to all men. 
there's the Christ-like mind. There's the progressive Christianity. Can you give grace to those who are fighting you? Can you give grace to those who are resisting God? Can you give grace? And that's what progressing, the progression in the mind of Christ that brings about the joy. That's something I just think we can't miss because, and let me just summarize here, Paul had the joy of Christ as he watched others grow in grace. As they grow up and they know the gospel and what it can do, people are patient, they're loving, they're compassionate, they're willing to listen, listen, love, love, and they stay calm. They don't have to fix things. They can respect everybody where they are because they know God is doing something. Don't patronize people. Don't set them up to fix them. Be curious. And so the last thing Webb says, do you accommodate to the culture? Just let them go their way? No. You engage and share the good news so that they understand what they don't understand. (laughs) So that you bring hope, redemptive hope. And that's what Paul did with the Philippians. And he left them there, and he's going to move on to the Thessalonians and do the same thing. You will see this pattern all the way through. Let me stop here, because there's a joy that is the strength of the gospel. And if you have that, you have it. If you don't have it, you'll be struggling to get that. And that's why we're here, for all of us to grow in grace, because none of us have it together. None of us. And the kingdom's still coming, And you're not perfect. Anybody perfect here yet? Anybody need grace? Yeah, that's where we are. So...